Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning. How are you? Happy New Year. I haven't seen you all year. Where you been? We are starting a series today in the book called 1 Corinthians, okay? Now, let me explain something. A year ago, I got to go to Corinth for the first time. And when I was going to Corinth, I started studying a little bit because I lead the group. We were on a Journey to Paul trip. We'll be doing an Israel trip next year. And then hopefully, if the Lord wills, uh, Deo Valente, the following year, we'll go to Journeys of Paul again. But we were in Corinth, and so I was getting ready, preparing, and I read again the account in Acts of how Corinth began, the church began. And what spoke to me out of the letter was this. It's possible to be a church that has influence even in a world that not, doesn't like you. It doesn't necessarily agree with you. This, this town, this city called Corinth, was unbelievable. And yet God wanted a church there. And so I just began to think about, God, would this be the place that we could learn how to continue in the faith, how to be strong in our witness, even though the world is increasingly not like us? And I just felt the Lord say yes. Because you know what? We don't live in the same country we lived in 50 years ago, 20 years ago. It's changed. And it's definitely one that, according to some, has become anti-Christian, or at least post-Christian. What that means is that the majority don't think like we would think. And I don't think sometimes people know how to deal with that. I think we get mad. We get angry. And we want to fight. And we want to reclaim what was taken from us. Can I remind you that every book in the New Testament, the Gospels, the letters, Revelation, every book was written when it was alone. The government was not for the church. The government hadn't blessed the church. In fact, history says the strongest days for the church in history was when the church was persecuted. It was when it was hard to be a Christian. Not easy. The weakest days the church has ever had was when it was easy to be a Christian. I just think this letter tells us, hey, it's not over. You're going to have influence. You're going to make a difference. I went to bed last night at halftime and said, Jacksonville, I'm giving up. I I thought you had a chance. Who's with me? Who thought it's over? It's over. No, it's not over. I woke up this morning, got my phone. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And the first thing I did was watch the recap to see what happened. So I'm just telling you, even in the sporting world and in God's world, you never know what God can do. So I want it to be an encouragement. So we're going to go through the book. 
We're going to read how can we be that church that has influence even when the world is pushing against us. Because remember, this church, it was a messed up church, but it was even in a messier environment. I mean, there was immorality in the church. There were all kind of crazy stuff going on in the church. And he was just telling them, hey, this is how you need to live. This is what you need to do. So we're going to start today, and we're going to go through the whole book. And, and you're probably sitting there going, how, how long is this going to take? <laughs> you know, there'll be Sundays. We won't be in the book of 1 Corinthians. There'll be special things going on. God moves and directs, and we may just feel like, hey, we're supposed to do this. And so we're always going to be ready to pivot. But just because we believe this book matters so much, we're going to walk through it together. I had somebody ask me, so you think we'll be through by June? <laughs> no, we will not. Well, what about when Jesus comes? We'll probably still be in 1 Corinthians. That's all right. <laughs> we'll get the rest from Paul when we get there. It's just one of those books that I think could have an incredible difference in your life to encourage you to be the church, to encourage you to be who he called you to be. It doesn't matter if what you're getting is a bunch of headwind from your friends and from your neighbors and from everybody else. Man, listen, just stand for Jesus and watch what God can do. That's what this book is all about. It's amazing. So when we live in a culture like this, and we sense that we're not in the majority, which, by the way, we're not, in case you haven't noticed. Two things can happen, and they're both bad. Number one, we can withdraw, go into a shell, and say, well, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want anything to do with the world. I'm just going to, I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. And we kind of sequester ourselves in the building called the church, which the church is not a building, but we call it that. And we kind of get in here, and this is the only time we act like we even know Jesus. Why? Because we're hiding. Don't hide. That's the worst thing we could do. And we even sometimes get the attitude of, well, we don't want them in here. Really? Is that the best option for the church? No. The other one that's an extreme is we become like the world around us. You find it just slipping in to our conversations, what we post, what we, you know, what we like. And all of a sudden, we're, we're acting just like the world. I remember once I was being a chaplain for a police department, and man, one of our, one of our best officers he had an incredible story of how he came to Christ. But he, he sat down with me one day, and I said, man, how, tell me how God worked in your life. And this is what he said. He said, David, the change came for me when one night I was chasing this bad guy. And he said it was a really hard thing. I was going after him, and he was running, and we were all going through everything. And he said, all of a sudden, it hit me. I'm becoming just like him. There's not much difference between me and the guy I'm chasing. He said, I had allowed the environment around me and I had allowed crime and that criminal mindset and just a world without morals, I had let it get into my life. And I think the church always runs that danger, that you aren't set apart holy as God is holy. Holy just means you're different, means you're not like the world. And so we have to kind of resist that. That's not the option we want to go to is just becoming like our world. So what's the best option? What's the, it's a third option. How about let's just be a light in the darkness. 
Let's be the church God intended us to be and keep shining the light no matter how dark it gets out there. Let's just be a witness. Let's keep living the faith, just like the songs that we sang this morning. Jarian said it, just keep singing. And speaking of Jarian, man, Jarian did a great job last week, didn't he? <clears throat> man, if you, uh, if you weren't here, if you weren't here, or maybe you're not even sure who Jarian is, just go and go to YouTube or go to our website, and you can go back and catch next, uh, last week's message, <laughs> catch next week's too. That's a pretty good trick. Um, <laughs> We, I, I just loved it. We were sitting there, and we were streaming it, and man, it was so good. And because Jarian is so talented, you notice he just broke into song. So guess what? I woke up this morning and said, okay, today's the day. And then I went, <clears throat> I got a little frog in my throat. I, I, I don't think, I'm not sure that's what I need to do. So when I get healthy, I'll, I'll try to bring something for you, Okay. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn to the letter, okay? 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to have you go to two places. One is the letter we call 1 Corinthians. In the New Testament, obviously, it's one of the first letters. And by the way, in case you weren't sure how the Bible is arranged, Acts is a story of the gospel as it spreads and kind of the story of the church. And then you hit Romans, and Romans is the first letter not necessarily in time that Paul wrote, but first one in the Bible. Do you know how the letters of Paul are arranged in our Bible? What determines where they come? This, I was in school a long time and one day figured this out. And I'm like, oh, that helps. They're there according to length. That's it. The longer letters are first, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and shorter ones all the way down to Titus, Philemon. So, 1 Corinthians, it's a long letter, okay? You have in your hand one of the greatest letters. And I'm, I'm hoping and praying we're going to see that because it speaks to everything. In fact, let me tell you, this town was as messed up as any place you would ever go. Corinth was an old city. It was a city that was founded years, years before Christ. But had gone through a, a time when it had really nobody living there. And then Julius Caesar actually wanted it to be a thriving city. And so it became a thriving city. And by the time Paul comes along, it was thriving. And it was almost the crossroads of Greek culture with the world. And because of its location, it had all kinds of influences from the outside. Let me show you the map. So... This is obviously Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Those are cities Paul traveled to. We have a book called Philippians. That's for that church. We have a book called Thessalonians, first and second, that church. When he got to Athens, that's Acts 17. He spoke at the Areopagus. I mean, he, he was right there with the wisest of the wise. And he did an incredible job presenting Christ. And then he left Athens and he comes down to Corinth. Now, notice something. There's a little piece of land that connects the two. There you go. That piece of land created issues for ships. Because ships didn't want to have to go all the way around the tip. 
They wanted to be able to come and cut through because it was a protected waterway. And if they could have come here and cut through, then they could have really saved themselves a lot of time. Today, there's a beautiful canal. It started in the 1800s. I mean, it's cut out of just solid rock. And it's actually beautiful. <laughs> Did you know in 600 B.C., before Christ, they figured out how you could put ships on a railroad. And there was a rail system. that They would pull your ship onto this type of frame that would run the rails, and it would go over, and it would cut off that distance. Well, even with or without that, Ships would come in because it was protected. It was out of the, the winds out in the Mediterranean. And so sailors were there. A lot of sailors. A lot of people off the ships. Now, any of you serve with the Navy? What's the typical description of sailors? How about this? When somebody cusses, you go, man, they cuss like a deacon? No. <laughs> they cuss like a sailor. It was a rough crowd. Let's just say it that way. And there was all kinds of stuff in the city. But the thing that it was probably most known for was sexual immorality. There was a temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of sex or love. Okay? And that temple was a thriving temple when Paul was there. And that temple would house at least a thousand prostitutes. And their job and their work and their offering to the goddess Aphrodite was they go down in the city and have sex, get as many people as possible to engage with them. So let me show you a picture of that. Here, here you see the word Bema right there, if you can make it out. This is where Paul, this was an open market area. And so Paul probably stood here and made his appeal to the Roman uh, proconsul, which was like the governor. From this marketplace, look right up here. There are the ruins of the temple of Aphrodite. So basically what would happen is a thousand prostitutes would make their way down this mountain into this city. And that was what it was known for. In fact... As early as the 4th century, writers, when they wanted to refer to a prostitute, would call her a Corinthian girl because it was just synonymous with a prostitute. In fact, today, you look up in our dictionary, the word Corinthianize, it's an actual word. To Corinthianize means you've perverted somebody or you have had them engage in immorality. That's how this city was known. And so for Paul to write to a church in this city and say, hey, I know it's pretty rough around you, but God wants to do something in you. And he wants to do something through you. What an incredible place. You see, God never runs from the darkness. He sends light to the darkness. You remember that? What was the first thing he created? Let there be light. So this attitude about, oh man, it's dark in that city or it's dark in that place and let's get out of it. No. Run to it. Because we have light. And God wants to use us in the gospel to make a difference in that city. So here's Paul. 
He's in Corinth. Now, he's waiting. Go back to the map. He's waiting for his team to come from Athens and some from even over in Ephesus, which is across the sea over there. And so while he's waiting, he goes to the synagogue. He preaches Jesus. What he did, everywhere he went, he'd go to the synagogue because he was Jew. Okay? Go to the synagogue, preach Jesus. If they received him, he'd stay, continue with them. If they didn't, he'd go to the Gentiles. Well, in this case, they didn't receive him. The Jews went crazy. They wanted to beat him. He pulls back and he says, okay, I'm out. I'm not going to mess with you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But God wasn't through. And that's kind of the story. Now, he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. The longest Paul ever stayed anywhere was three years. That was Ephesus. The second longest was a place called Corinth. And he met some people there that were influential, like Aquila and Priscilla. They made tents like he did. So he probably stayed with them, and they were believers out of Rome. So I'm telling you all this, so now we're going to read how the church at Corinth came about. Now you need to go keep one finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or get a page open on your phone. Now turn to Acts chapter 18. That's how the church was born in chapter 18. Let's read it together. I'm going to read starting in verse 5. Acts 18, and then I'm going to read right into 1 Corinthians 1, the first three verses. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out, of his, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue, by the way, that's like the pastor. Okay, if a synagogue had a pastor, they would call him the ruler. Crispus was that pastor of that synagogue, believed in the Lord, and together with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed, and they were being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, very important, listen to what God tells Paul. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. We're going to come back to that. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul, like the governor of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. They brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names, your own law, you have a way. You see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. He was the one who followed Crispus. Remember one became a believer in his household? They got a new pastor. His name was Sosthenes. Well, the Jews turned on Sosthenes, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio played, paid no attention to this. May the Lord add his blessing. Now, 
Let's read how the letter starts. 1 Corinthians 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother who? Sosthenes. Wait a minute. Is that that same dude that took a beating? Hang on to that thought. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I want to pick three things that I want us to know that we have just like they had to encourage you that no matter how difficult it gets living where we live, you always need to remember you have these three things. Number one, we have him. He is with us. Go back to Acts, the vision in the night. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking, Paul, and do not be silent for, say it with me, I am with you. Don't ever stop living it. Don't ever stop talking about it. Don't ever stop singing it. He's with us. And to show us how he is with us, the opening of the letter says, first of all, he called us. It's not just that God's with us, but he calls us to be saints. You have a calling, and that calling is to be his. And not only that, he is sanctifying you. Look at this, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, the word sanctified is a big word. Let me tell you what it means. You are being made to be the person he intended you to be. Something's happening inside of you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that is changing you to become who he intended you to be when he created you. That's happening in you. So all of this is trying to say to us, he's with us. It doesn't matter what happens out there. When God is with you, who can be against you? When God is sanctifying us and he's, make, he's called us and he's changing us, we have him. Second thing, we have his people. You notice what he says to Paul? The night in that vision. I have many in this city who are my people. That's like God saying, hey, I got people. I know people. And when God says, I got people, he's got people. Who's he talking about? And this is fun. There's one uh, school of thought that says, when he says, in this city, I have those that are my people. He's letting Paul know he's going to use the officials in that city to protect him. The officials that were not even believers. Do you think it's possible for God to use somebody that's not even a Christian, not even a believer, to use them to take care of you and to further the gospel? You think, raise your hand if you think that's possible. You bet it is. We have a book filled with stories of people who didn't believe, but God used them to accomplish his purpose in the world. Don't we have an awesome God? Let's just give him praise for that. It's amazing. So think about it. Your worst enemies, God may be using them. Paul, I got people in this city. You don't be afraid. There's another school of thought that he's referring to Christians. Because we know there were a few Christians there, not many. 
But there were a few. Aquila and Priscilla were there. There were some who were believing as Paul preached. So God was saying, hey, Paul, I got, you got people all around you. Can I just tell you the worst mistake you can make as a believer is to think you've got to live it alone. If you don't have a church, if you don't have a small group, if you don't have connections, you will never be what God intends you to be. And the reason is, is because something happens when you realize you got people around you. You have God's people. We're not alone in this. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel like there's nobody else. And then all of a sudden you go into a small group and they start talking about problems or struggles or whatever. And you're going, wow, I thought I was the only one that had that. Man, it's so refreshing to see you on a Sunday morning to know you're on the stream. It just refreshes me. You know why? Because it reminds me I'm not alone. We are not alone, and we need each other. In fact, go back to the, the opening verse of the, of the letter. To the church of God that's at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, say the word, together. That's part of your calling. Your calling is to be with somebody and to be together. So, hey, we got each other, and we got people around us. Do you know what I think the world in that day needed desperately? Was a church that lived united. They were one, and they stood for something. That's what Paul is going to address. They had divisions. In fact, we're going to read it in two weeks from today. There's a passage where he's telling them, what are y'all doing? You're following this guy, and you're following that guy, and you're following this one. They didn't die for you. Only one died for you. Follow Jesus. I mean, it's just a beautiful reminder. I personally think today, more than ever, the church needs to stand together. More than ever, we need to be united. The world around us is divided. We live in a country that's so divided. Politically, I mean, scientifically, uh, it's divided in every possible way. What if a church really comes together around the gospel, and we unite around the gospel, and we take a stand and we move together, you realize the impact that can have? I think it's so great that the number one tactic of the devil today is not disbelief. The number one tactic of the devil today is disunity in the church. If he can divide the church and listen, we can divide over everything. Think about all the things we could divide over. The world tried to do it over vaccine, no vaccine. Mask, no mask. You take any issue. We never even knew about them until 2020. It could even be something as silly as where you grew up or the language you speak or the color of your skin. That's why I love the fact that we're honoring Martin Luther King Jr. Day because there is nothing that is going to divide this church. We are united in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you grew up. There's oneness in Christ. And that's where the power is. You're going to see that a lot in this letter, that he called us to be one. And so for me, don't ever forget, you got people all around you. I think there's another possibility. Go back to the the verse in Acts. There are many in this city who are my people. You know what else I think he's talking about? People who aren't even saved yet. But he knows they're going to. See, God's foreknowledge. He already knows. 
You, we forget this. He knows right now who's going to come to Christ. And you know what I think is cool about that? It's people you never would have thought. It's people you would have said, oh my goodness, there's no way. That's exactly what God's got in mind. Never forget this. God is working when you don't think he's working. God is changing lives when it doesn't look like he's changing lives. That neighbor that you detest, that you know will never set foot in a church, you better back that up. Because God can come and change their life. I've seen him resurrect marriages. I've seen him resurrect lives, businesses. Listen, God can do anything, and he knows his people that he is drawing to himself, and he knows what's going to happen. There was one of them. Well, actually, there were two of them. One of them was the treasurer of the city of Corinth. His name was Erastus. He actually gave the money to pave a street. You know how we know it? Because we found an inscription on that street that has his name on it. Any of y'all ever given money and you got a brick with your name on it somewhere? <laughs> they did that too. And you know who Erastus was? He not only was the city treasurer, he became a companion of Paul, a believer, and Paul sends greetings and uses the name of Erastus in Romans 16, 23. Who would have thought one of the city officials would come to Christ? You remember that name that we ran across a while ago, Sosthenes? Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ and our brother Sosthenes. Remember what happened to Sosthenes? He was the ruler of the synagogue, remember? And they beat him up. The Jews beat him up. And now look at him. He's a brother. I bet Paul didn't see that coming. And you know what else? This is what blows my mind. Because of the way Paul mentions him in the opening verse of the letter, there are most, most scholars believe he is the one who actually wrote the letter for Paul. He is what's called an amanuensis. He wrote the letter. Now, how awesome is that? You couldn't have seen that coming. I'm telling you, God's doing things through your life you, don't, you can't see. And God's going to bring them. And God's doing something through our church that we can't see. So no matter how crazy this world gets, God's got people. And so do we. And the last thing, we have his grace and peace. What else do we need? We have his grace and peace. Paul opens this letter like he does most of his letters. Grace and peace from our God. And we're going to learn more about what that grace and peace means. But I can tell you at the heart of it, it means that God is going to give you his favor. And God is going to be with you. And you will find yourself in the palm of his hand, perfect peace. I just wonder if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't have that. I wonder if there's anyone streaming this today that you really don't have that sense of peace from God. You don't really have the sense of favor, God's favor. You know, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. The word saved, it's a beautiful word. It means to be whole. It not only means that your soul is saved, it means you're who you were intended to be, and you have this gift called peace, shalom, is what the Jews say in their greetings. Paul would say, shalom. Peace. God wants you to have peace. 
And he always mentions these words, and there's always one that's first and one that's second. Which one's first? Grace. Which one's second? Peace. Because without grace, there is no peace. I just want to do something right now. I want us to bow together for a moment. I think there might be somebody that's never received that grace. You've never received that gift. You've never taken that step toward Jesus to believe. And to believe that this story is true, that God loved you and He sent His Son and Jesus took your place on a cross to atone for your sin, to to provide forgiveness for you. And if you will put your faith in Him and turn from the stuff of your life, the ways of your life, and even trying to save yourself, turn to Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. You will find grace and peace. Father, thank you for this beautiful thought. Grace and peace. What else do we need? We have you. We have your people. And we have your grace and your peace. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. So, I get letters a lot. Some of them I can't read in public here. Some of them I can't. I love those. So I asked this guy if I could read his letter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just sum it up for you. He lives in New Smyrna, New Smyrna Beach. His health has prevented him from traveling, and so he's not able to come over. But this is what he said. He said, "Uh, I wish I could be an attending member. But he said, I watch every Sunday. And I've been watching for many months. And he said, I've come to love you, your staff, and your church. He said, I've also been doing what y'all do with Scripture every day. And he said, I'm awake and waiting for that Scripture to come through at 630. And he said, I take my Bible and I read the passage around that scripture, and I read that scripture. And then he said, I take a notebook, like a journal, and he said, I began to answer those questions through soap, read the scripture, observation, application, and then a prayer. He said, I write it all out. He said, it takes me about an hour, but he said, it's my routine every morning, first thing. He said, I just want to thank you and the people of your church for what they're doing. This has been a glorious gift to me. His name is Jim. I've never met Jim and probably never would have. But you know what I think? There are a lot more Jims out there. There are people in your life that you don't have any clue, but you're touching them. You're making a difference in them. So don't give up. Don't think it's not working. Don't think the Jaguars can't come back. In other words, no matter what happens, remember the church at Corinth in a place that was so immoral. But God said, let your light shine. And so for me, you've never taken that step to Jesus. We're here to help you. You can text us the word connect, 40777. You're in the room. You can text us as well. If you're in the room, we also have folks on either side. As you leave, you'll see them there. They're there to pray for you and encourage you. Don't want you to give up. It's going to be a great study together. Because next week, 
we're going to talk about what we have in grace. Paul always opens with a thanksgiving. And he says, I want you to be thankful for what we have in Jesus. And he tells us what we have in Jesus. And it is amazing. So let's be the church that has influence, even in a dark world. Let's let the light shine. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next weekend. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.